from WHQR Public Media, this is The Newsroom. I'm Ben Schachman. Thanks for joining us. On today's show, we're talking about One Small Step. That's a project run by StoryCorps that WHQR participated in over about five to six months from last summer up until the new year. Now, for those who don't know, StoryCorps was founded back in 2003, and by 2005, they were traveling across the United States in their iconic Silver Airstream trailer, recording intimate conversations that got archived in the Library of Congress. A few years ago, StoryCorps launched a new program that they called One Small Step. So here's the elevator pitch. You bring together two people, total strangers, from very different political backgrounds for an hour-long conversation. It's not a debate. Just a chance to get past the political divisiveness and maybe hear each other as people. After joining the project, for several months, WHQR recruited potential participants, screening nearly 200 people and ultimately arranging 25 conversations, where we served as what's called facilitators. We weren't interviewing these people. We were just there to help steer the conversation along. Although, to be honest, a lot of the time, once people got started talking, they didn't need any help from us. On today's show, we're going to dig into what we learned as observers from these conversations. And just a quick note here, throughout the show, we'll be playing clips from our One Small Step conversations and referring to the participants by their first names. But yes, you might recognize a few public figures or maybe your own friends or neighbors. Okay. I'm joined now by my guests, Mary Bradley. She's the development director for WHQR, and she was part of the core team that helped us do One Small Step. And my colleague, Rachel Keith, who was really bore some of the lion's share of some of the conversation facilitation. And we'll get into that. But before we get into the conversations themselves, Mary, I want you to tell people a little bit about how this came about from our relationship here at WHQR with StoryCorps. Well, we have a terrific and longstanding relationship with StoryCorps. They actually came to Wilmington back in 2011. They visited us, recorded stories, got to know the community, and it was an excellent experience. So then when they were coming out of the pandemic, they'd been working virtually, they came to us again and asked if we might want the StoryCorps Airstream trailer to come to town. And of course we said yes, and we were very excited. So they joined us in 2011, recorded uh, 50 conversations or so, and it was a wonderful experience. So when they put this new program together, One Small Step, they had done it for a few years, but they were gonna reach out again to stations across the nation, and they invited us to apply. So. It was a rigorous application, and there were many people who applied, but we uh, we were one of six. We were one of six. And this is a program born out of love, but there's a little bit of competition. Oh, yes. Both in getting to be one of the six stations, and then um, as this program was evolving, as we were, the first step is recruiting. So <laughs> there's an online, uh, we had like an online doc where we could look at who had recruited how many people, and we were definitely like, yes. Oh, yeah. We're like, oh, we took. WDET down today with the number of new uh, people who signed up. We, we love our fellow stations, but yeah, there was Absolutely. a little bit of competition. And so I do want to talk a little bit about that and then get into the conversations. Was makes a little sense here. To have a conversation, you have to have participants. And one small step in StoryCorps told us you might struggle a little bit in getting conservatives, but also you've really got to reach out to the community. So I want to, one, take this opportunity to thank all of the people who took a chance on this program. Yeah. And for you, Rachel, and you, Mary, a little bit about what it was like for you, you know, talking to these people for the first time, trying to, once we got people to email us and say, I might be interested, how did you 
talk to them and talk to them and, and sort of give them a sense of what this was all about and how did they feel? Yeah, I mean, I would look for this conservative and liberal pair and I would call them up. Usually, sometimes I would send an email and say, are you still interested? Let's set up a quick call. And um, I would just talk to them about how they heard about our program, what interested them about talking with someone who didn't share their same views. And then I asked them, uh, why do you go to the polls? You know, what do you vote on? So I could really understand what their main issues are so that I could pair them with a person that might not share those same views. Yeah, and it was fun to get to know them a little bit through these, uh, we call them vetting calls. And also, we also looked for a few red flags to see if someone would get a little too crazy or may not be someone who is looking for a, a kind conversation who may just be looking to get their point across, which is not the point of the program. There were definitely people who wanted to win a conversation. Yes. <laughs> uh, and we wanted people who were going to have a conversation which turned out to be hard, but we did find, you know, some great participants. But that doesn't mean that they weren't nervous, right? Sure. So we had a couple of examples of that, um, including Alan and Teresa, right? When we asked them, you know, are you ready for this? Uh, that's actually one of the four questions that we sort of led off all these conversations. One of them was, uh, maybe obviously, but it led to a lot of good conversations. What made you want to come in either to the WHQR studios and have the conversation or to, we did some of these online too. So here's, uh, here's Alan and Teresa talking about that. What made you want to do this conversation or interview today? So I think for me, it's important. The idea of listening to other people is important. I um, was a teacher for a very long, feels like a very long time, but for 26 years. Um, and a huge part of running a classroom is listening to what the kids are saying, listening to what they need. And I just... The last few years, I've found very hard personally because I just have found too many people who just are not listening. They're just saying things. Um, so I was hoping just to carve out a little space in my day where I could have a wonderful conversation with someone and take a minute just to listen to what they're saying in a um, in a very purposeful way, as opposed to just the high level energy um, combativeness that I, there just seems to be so much of at this point in time. So I'm curious, Alan, uh, what made you want to do this interview? You know, there've been many years and uh, the reason I'm interested in doing something like this is that uh, it happens uh, so infrequently. Mm -hmm. uh, very often uh, for the years, increasingly so, people shut up on these things. Mm -hmm. I remember dining room conversations in the past with lots of differences, but things have become pretty nasty and yeah. language, language and courtesy and manners have been uh, uh, eroded in many respects. And uh, people shut you off. I've, I've had family members walk away when you just ask them, mm -hmm. why do you feel that way? Or try and understand their position. And that's high school friends or more family members. And uh, why seems to, it seems to be a question that people avoid. And uh, so why do you feel that way? And uh, mm -hmm. I'm looking for a structure that would make that a little more uh, uh, comfortable to do. And this was a terrific start. A lot of people really started that way, so open to having these conversations. And right away with the questions that we have for them, we'd get right into um, some similar stories, some background. And, and we heard that from some people like Stacy and Richard. Um, well, for my own 
personal views. You know, I really, I was raised by a, a very conservative uh, stepfather who was a military man. And uh, my mother was, you know, a social worker and she ran nonprofit agencies um, dealing with domestic violence. And, you know, that was literally the world I grew up in. So I grew up in New York City, which is extremely liberal. And I have had conservative uh, leanings ever since um, I was in college. How did the holidays go for you guys? Um, so unfortunately for things that have happened in our history, my two sons, uh, don't talk to each other and it makes it very difficult and it's very painful for my wife and I, especially since Brett used to live in San Francisco and then was in London for three years and now is in Manhattan in New York City and my son Michael lives just outside of New York City, that they're really close. And like, we're, we're going to New York for Thanksgiving and they won't be together. So we see them and we'll have to be separately. That's so hard. I'm yep, sorry. it is. So this is definitely a story we heard a lot. A lot of the big takeaways that we're gonna be talking about during the show were about you know politics and big social issues, but just at a ground level, a lot of people we talked to, whether they were on the right or the left, really lamented that their families were riven by this kind of political divide. Yeah, I had several conversations where they were talking to their partner about the fraction in their own family and that this was some way to kind of seek to understand because they were so upset that it happened with their own family. And so when you try to approach a family member, that's highly personal. But this was more of a safe space to kind of just say what happened and how much it hurt that they couldn't talk to their loved one. Absolutely. And another thing that we we heard from a lot of people is they found a lot of commonality in their backgrounds. So we did ask them to tell a little bit more about themselves and talk about people who were influential to them uh, as they grew up. I would have to say um, my mother. I lost her in 2020. She was educated as a special education teacher and she taught me compassion for those who not necessarily are less fortunate, but who might have differences than you. Um, she was probably the smartest person I've ever met. She was the one who encouraged me to read, who encouraged me to be part of organizations to make myself my best self. Um, she taught me to love family above everything. Um, she was one of the hardest workers I've ever seen. Um, and she always made me feel safe and loved. And I hope that my daughter can say that about me too. Um, so Dorian, he's been the most influential person in your life and what have they taught you? I would, I would have to say in the short span of time that I had would be my grandmother. She passed when I was six, but in the short span of time we had together, she just taught me a lot of things about different people's culture. You know, yeah. uh, I I went to powwows growing up with her. With her, we would watch Golden Girls together, X Files together. Uh, it wasn't all just about one set way of life. You know, there's different ways 
to go about life and the people have different aspirations and goals and different things that they do every day in their life to make who they are. And it's important. I grew up that thinking, you know, it, it's important that everyone is recognized no matter what they believe and that we're all just humans and you just have to let people be people. So, yeah, we heard a lot of touching and interesting and similar stories when people were explaining where they came from. Okay, we've got to take a break, but we'll be right back, and we're going to get into some of the big takeaways from our One Small Step project. You're listening to The Newsroom. Stay with us. Welcome back to the newsroom. I'm Ben Shockman. Thanks for joining us. We're here with my coworkers, Mary Bradley, who we don't often get to have on the show, but we're happy to have her today. Mary, thanks for being with us. Thank you. And my colleague, Rachel Keith, thanks for being here. Thank you. And we're talking about our One Small Step project. So for months and months, we facilitated conversations between people from opposite sides or differing sides of the political spectrum uh, with all kinds of interesting results. We learned a lot. I think some of the participants learned a lot. And one of the big I guess through lines of this, was people's feelings on trust in institutions and elected officials. Yes, I did one uh, conversation between, it was actually my first one between um, Aaron and Ellen, and they were talking about, you know, because a lot of these fractious issues involve government and who we elect to power. So we have Aaron talking to Ellen about how he sees the role of government. I think that government the way it's supposed to work is simply people organizing to get along with each other. I, I think at its at its best, that's all we're trying to do, mm -hmm. right? But the problem is that requires transparency and it requires trust. And frankly, we don't know and trust each other enough to deal with the issues that are before us. And so that's why I think it's important that that we're having these kind of conversations. And mm -hmm. and we so easily fall into that trap of either or. And, and with, you know, with, with those hot button issues, people are afraid that, that if one, if, if I compromise an inch, the other side, whatever the other side is, will take a mile. That's what I hear. And that's what I've heard in a lot of my conversations that I facilitated was this trust issue. Um, and that's why we are seeing some of these um, fractious debates is because we don't think that we're on some level of uh, connection with one another, that someone else is out to get me or hurt me instead of, okay, we disagree um, on these issues, but I still respect you as a person. Yeah, there was a lot of, so many people, for the sake of politeness, earlier in the conversations, these all last about 50 minutes. So early on, a lot of people spoke in generalities, because when you get into the nitty gritty, sometimes you hit the hot Sure. The hot button issues. But people did get into very contentious issues like abortion, gun control, immigration. Um, and a lot of the times we heard people concerned about things being slippery slopes. So, you know, we heard people on the left who said they were concerned about restrictions on abortion because where would it end? Do we end up in the handmaid's tale was the joke <laughs> that people made a lot. Uh, and same for people who were concerned about gun control. They said, look, I'm OK with some reasonable restrictions on guns, but where does it end? And they basically didn't trust politicians to, to do what they said they were going to do. They're like, yeah, well, if they say this, but they're going to do this. 
And they also felt like if they expressed these opinions, people would think that they were not being fully honest. So if you say, well, you know, I think there should be some reasonable restrictions on certain kinds of firearms, those people were afraid that if I say that, people are going to think that I'm going to come to their house and take, like, their grandfather's hunting rifle. Sure. Mm -hmm. So there was a lot of that. And then we had uh, Greg and Mary Lynn. Tell me a little bit about their conversation. Yes, um, I spoke with Greg and Mary Lynn, and I did this conversation before the midterms. So you'll hear in this conversation um, bite that they were upset with the way that politicians were treating each other and that the way that ads were playing out. Okay, obviously we're, we're in the throes of political season now, right? We have an election on November 8th. The ads, at least around here, are insane. They're all negative. It's not what am I going to do? What am I going to do to change things here? The things I think are wrong. It's my opponent is fill in the blank. It's it's insane. We don't even know where people stand because they're not talking about it. I know. Well, I spend a lot of time in WHQR area, so that's how I found out about this. So I've heard the political ads. Um, I go there a lot in, in your area and I hear the political ads and they're the same here. Yeah. I agree with you. Um, that is that really the way that we are going to bring people to our sides by talking about how much we hate people? Right. Is that what works? Yeah. I don't think so because people just dig in their heels. I mean, nobody wants to be told that they are wrong. So Mary Lynn, you can hear her. So learning about her, she has a house on the coast, but she spends a lot of her time also in the mountains. So she was making that comparison that, you know, somewhere out in the mountains sounds very similar to what we were experiencing on the coast there. Yeah. And I, I will say just a quick disclosure notice for a political ads. WHR does not run political ads. I have worked at news outlets that do. Oh, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, also, Mary, you know, in, you know, towards the end of this project, we held a listening event here yes. at WHQR. And that was definitely one of the things we heard from a lot of the people who came to share their thoughts and spend time with their fellow participants was their frustration with political advertising. Oh, absolutely. And I have to say that that listening event was one of the highlights, I think, of, of this whole awesome process. It was great to have the people come, some of the participants, some of the people who didn't make it because we had so many applicants, over 200 for these um, 25 conversations we ended up with. But it was great, all their passion for this kind of conversation and their hope for for expanding it in the future. Yeah, because they want to meet in the middle, usually these people who, I mean, are on opposite sides, but they have the will and they want, they're motivated to find connection with people even though they disagree. Yeah, absolutely. I definitely heard from people their frustration, not just with, you know, the way that election season gets because it can get pretty ugly. Yes. But with the the two party system, you know, it was not uncommon to hear people say, I wish there was a third party um, or in this case, many, many more parties. This was a conversation between uh, David and JJ. So when I heard about these conversations, I thought, well, this is a great opportunity to maybe play in that space, you know, between the right and the left and talk about things and how we can maybe come together more and let's not run to the edges. But hang out in the middle. Yeah, uh, kind of like I've heard people talk about the primary, uh, the way we elect people. We have primaries which end up electing people or nominating people who are on the extremes. Mm -hmm. And then when you get here, you've got two extremes. Right. Right. Um, 
it, yeah, if I could go to a parliamentary form of government and, <laughs> and have 15 different parties, I'm on board. Let's rewrite the Constitution. I wonder about that, too, because there were times in the past, and I don't, I'm not a historian, so I couldn't speak to it, but I know we've had multiple parties before. Different parties looked different. The Democratic Party and the Republican Party looked very different. So I wonder if we're on the cusp of another change where things will look different 10, 20 years from now. So we, had, we heard that a lot from people who wished that there were other parties, if for no other reason than to maybe pull down the overall temperature. Um, and I also have to say, as a journalist, Rachel, I know you experience this too. Mary, you're probably off the hook. But there was like a moment in almost every one of these conversations we did where the role of the media would come up. Yes. And then, especially when we do this in person, where the two participants would kind of turn and look at you as the facilitator, knowing you are also a journalist. Uh, and the name that comes up over and over again, and this probably won't surprise listeners, was Walter Cronkite. People miss Walter Cronkite. There was this idea that at some point there was a more objective, neutral news style. So this is from a conversation uh, between two kind of independent-minded people, and this is Jen, and she's a left-leaning independent. Maybe it's just because, you know, I didn't have the internet as a kid. It wasn't like kids now who grew up, you know, learning all this stuff. If you learn something, it would be Encyclopedia Britannica or the 5 o'clock news. So I was still used to Walter Cronkite. This is the news, very stark, so... So people's fond, fond memories of, of Walter Cronkite. And then this is a conversation between um, folks on the left and the right. This is Scott and Kerry talking about their perception of media bias. We're starting with Kerry here. I think, I think if we got rid of labels, and I think the media, the mainstream media, really feeds, in, feeds into that. Just when I was getting ready this morning before work, I was listening to, I think it was a Today Show. It's just kind of on in the background. And some of the things this reporter was saying, I just thought, you know, she's she's put her slant on this. And in my eyes, journalism should be, you know, completely unjudgmental, just report facts, not opinions. I've heard several people that I respect um, have made that comment lately about journalism. I remember years ago, um, somebody had mentioned about the changes in news reporting, and they had mentioned that it was the onset of the 24-hour news cycle mm -hmm. that thought they had a big influence on that. And the more I thought about it over the years, the, the more it makes sense. You know, it's not reporting facts and providing information, it's opinion pieces, speculation um, that I think to some degree may be good, but uh, I think just the amount of it has been harmful to society. And we played that clip as part of an edited version here at WHQR, and I had people tell me they couldn't tell whether Scott was the conservative or liberal or whether Kerry was the conservative or liberal when they were talking about the media. And I think that's the experience we had a couple of times where people kind of met in the middle on that. I definitely remember at the end of one conversation when the mics were off and yet another participant was telling me that they just wanted Walter Cronkite back. And one of the points one of the participants made was that, um, I think it's in 1968, Walter Cronkite, uh, early in the year, got on the air and said, the Vietnam War is unwinnable. And this was obviously in contrast to what the current administration was saying. And this kind of shocked people a little bit because they weren't used to Walter Cronkite just letting loose. 
But he, the, this participant's point was that Cronkite had toured Vietnam after the Tet Offensive, which was disastrous for the U.S. military. And, of course, he had been deeply enmeshed in all of the, the quality reporting that was coming out. And that he was saying this on primetime television at, at the end of a long process. It was a serious look at the issue and to make a choice after the evidence had been presented. Exactly. And I think that, that people are still uh, very very okay with. I think what they're frustrated with is just the overkill, um, the the constant, you know, barrage of opinions, and maybe the deliberate divisiveness. That's that's what we heard. And I don't want to lay all the blame on the media, especially because I'm sure. in the media. I don't want to yes, take responsibility for all of this. People, yeah. We also heard from a lot of people that social media was a huge part of this, um, especially the intersection of news and social media, the way which stories spread. I mean, a lot of times... It can be confusing for people. It can be confusing for people. I've had many people say, well, you know, NPR didn't cover this. And I'm showing them, actually, they did, but you didn't see it on Facebook because it wasn't generating enough outrage to get enough likes and comments and reactions, so it didn't make it through the algorithm into your feed. And they're like, oh, dang. Right. So that social media was definitely something we heard about a lot. But I think all of this sort of filtered into people's sense of not feeling understood and wanting to feel understood, but feeling like that's that's a real challenge these days. Yes. In this conversation, I did in person with Bob and Kun Money, and you'll hear her mainly talk about how she deals with people of different beliefs. I can say that I've probably done this, and I feel like other people do it to me. But you're so sold on your own belief that it's hard to hear what people are saying. It's hard to want to be curious. Why do you feel that way? Where did that come from? And I like to be right, as most people do. So I'm also always trying to like give advice or like reframe and try and convince people. And that's not, that's not healthy for either of us, um, for, for them, because people are allowed to believe what they want to believe so long as they are not harming anyone else. This was actually a question that you and I use as journalists and even in one small step. Uh, what I hear you saying is this. So you're trying to clarify, you know, that you've listened to them and you're trying to say what their point of view is. And if they hear it back, maybe they can he hear the black and white thinking. And, you know, that's their choice to, to decide. Right. One, yeah. of the, one of the fascinating parts of this project was listening to people on the left and the right for the first time, hear themselves articulate their beliefs really in a free, safe space um, without using talking points, without just saying, without sharing an article, for example. It's like, <laughs> this, this article represents how I feel, you know. And, you know, we found, again, these were, these were touchy issues, you know. A lot of this project happened after uh, the Dobbs decision overturning Roe vs. Wade. That came up in a lot of conversations. Yes. Every time it came up. As the facilitator, you get a little bit nervous. Like this could be this could be too emotionally intense for this conversation to continue in the kind of civil way that we want it to, and that didn't happen. And we found people finding you know nuance in their beliefs, and that yeah that they weren't so black and white. And that's part of the ground rules for these discussions is that this is not a debate. I mean that's in bold. Uh, that we have to read to people. We yes. have to say, you are sharing a story. You are sharing your perspective. Be curious. You're not trying to win. So there were clear ground rules that I think most people got on board with. Yeah. And what I found, too, was that a lot of people came in with their labels. 
And throughout the conversation, they really, really examined those. And in many cases, I experienced, I don't know about you guys, that at the end they said, you know, I called myself this when I filled out that application, but I don't really think I am. I mean, I've really gained a lot of understanding about, about the other side. That's right. And and these conversations, like you said, you can see these nuances. Um, wow, this person is actually socially liberal, but I knew them as a staunch conservative in every aspect. But the way that they spoke, it revealed a little more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we, you know, th- the system is set up to sound very simple because you have to explain the project to someone. You got to get them on the phone and be like, hey, this is the project. Right. But as it evolves, I think we found a lot of people um, Sometimes they even bristled at the idea that they could so easily be put in a box, that you're conservative or you're liberal. And, you know, we had people who were proud gun-toting hunting enthusiasts who were also gay rights advocates. Uh, We had one guy who was a, you know, passionately evangelical Christian and a conservative. One of his best friends is a gay priest. You know, just things you didn't expect. Yeah. Um, You know, layers. These people are onions. All people are onions. But how often do you get the chance to pluck someone off the street and sit them down for 50 minutes and really unpack that person and see where where all that nuance and humanity is? I interviewed someone who voted for Roy Cooper, but also voted for Trump. And so that was really interesting when he was talking to his partner um, about that. And what I found was great, and I did not believe it at the start. The woman we work with from One Small Step and StoryCorps, she explained that sometimes when people do this process, they really learn and grow and maybe lighten up a little bit. And I really thought personally, of course, I don't represent this in my in my work life, but I, I didn't see that I was going to learn and, and grow. And I honestly feel that I did. I mean, this was a terrific project. Yeah, and I feel that um, when we talked about at the beginning of the show how they came into this, and I think their apprehension was, I don't want to be attacked. Mm-hmm. And we would have to say, this is not the venue for this. This We are not attacking anyone. You are going to say how you feel, and that's that's the end of it. And, and that's endearing, and I think that's part of the learning, is that it allowed learning to take yeah. place because it wasn't a contentious place. Definitely, and I don't think that I trusted people enough to think that they would they would do this. I, I was really, really pleased with that. I will say we, we had 50 people total participate in this program, and they surprised us and impressed us. Yeah. And I think that's a good spot for a quick break. we got to take uh, just a minute, and we'll be right back with more, uh, because we've talked a lot about, you know, what made people feel divided, and now I think it's time to talk about how to bring people together. Right. All right. We'll be right, right back. You're listening to The Newsroom. Stay with us. Welcome back to the newsroom. I'm Ben Shockman here with my coworkers Mary Bradley and Rachel Keith. Guys, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. And when we left off, we had been talking about why people feel, I don't know, unheard, unlistened to, divided. But these conversations weren't all doom and gloom. There was a lot of interesting and positive insight into things we might do to at least a little bit bridge some of these gaps. 
Yes, and I spoke with Nancy and Chris, and you'll hear Chris mainly here, but he was really trying to connect with Nancy. And sometimes these partnerships, they weren't polar opposites, but I think here they pretty much were. Um, So it was interesting to see how Chris talked to Nancy. I did notice uh, when you said something about public housing and your volunteering efforts, I mean, that that's something like in as an architect, I've been really involved in uh, affordable housing and doing tiny home communities, that sort of thing. We have a pro bono program at my practice. Nice. And so that that really resonated with me. And I think, I mean, just to go back to the whole, I guess, the whole purpose of this this interview, it's like we can probably find common ground and do really good things regardless of you know what we think of religion or politics. As you hear, he's recognizing that she does a lot of volunteering efforts, but she is a staunch conservative when it comes to the government interventions and social programs. She thinks that the onus should be on the individual to make those choices. They both care about people. They just do it in different ways. And I got to say, I heard this more from conservatives than from liberals, where they felt like Whatever their opinion was, people felt like it was coming from a heartless place. Mm. Um, and the, one of the hardest conversations we had was about government austerity. So this is like cutting social programs like, uh, you know, food stamps or, or um, subsidized housing or stuff like that. And this guy explained, he's like, look, I, the place I'm coming from is that I want people to live the fullest, happiest, best lives. It's all I ever think about when I think about this stuff. But this is my point of view. Yeah, and I found two, I I had two or three libertarians, and so that was a big issue for them. You know, they did not want the government intervention in so many social programs, but at the same time, they had big hearts and wanted to help. So that was an issue that they really had a hard time expressing and dealing with, and it was a topic of a conversation several times. So, you know, it really was a much richer weirder, interesting collection of mm-hmm. beliefs than you might expect to get in a program that was set up to just compare the left and the right. And that's people. And that's people. Yes. And that's, that's what they always said. They're like, well, what did you think? What did you think was going to happen? I was like, I don't know. I thought this would be simpler. <laughs> <laughs> so another one of the questions we asked people as we were wrapping these conversations up, um, because as different as these people sometimes were, Man, once they got started, sometimes we really had to physically get involved, not to break them up, but to like say, hey, we have to, you know. Yeah, we've got to stop. TikTok, we've got to actually (laughs) wrap this up. So one of the questions we asked people to wrap things up was asking them to, you know, reflect on how they feel about their community. Mm Mm-hmm. Yes, and I talked with Eric and Sam, and this was actually the last one I did, so this is special to me. And um, I asked them, do you bring any qualities, and especially does our region, the Cape Fear region, do we have anything special that will help kind of bridge this division that we've been talking about this whole hour? They're the same qualities that we we all need and what we're trying to do here today and just sit down and have conversations and not run to the extremes of whatever we believe and not find some area to meet in the middle of what seems to make sense for the larger community, I I guess, is the best way to put it. And yes, some of that is driven by media and and other commercial entities that have a stake in the game and the numbers and the clicks and the views and all of that. But if we're we allow ourselves to be driven by that, then we don't deserve better than what we get and, and land where we are. So I don't know that there's any unique qualities to our region in that regard. I guess the same thing everybody needs to do is is start looking people in the eye and shaking hands and having coffee and having conversations and don't get 
too hung up on what you believe and thinking you've got all the answers and you're right all the time. Do you see anything unique to the community here that helps us bridge any of this? I don't know. Not necessarily anything unique. Uh, I tend to agree with you that we need to find ways to work together. So this goes back to an earlier earlier conversation. Why the division? Why are we having this? And we talked about the media. We talked about social media. But then you have um, Sam here saying, you know, we also have a personal stake in this to make choices for ourselves if we're going to be a part of this or not. And basically, you know, what we are asking for, we will get. So that was really interesting. And this also came up in the listening session. Why the division? Media. Oh, we had another person, Judy, that said we have to be responsible for what our society looks like. It's not a blaming of other things, which do contribute. But at the end of the day, it's about personal responsibility, too. At the end of every conversation, uh, it was time to wrap things up. And it sometimes felt like the whole conversation was just to get to the last couple minutes. Oh, yes. So you got to give these people some credit for and, and some time to have warmed up. But when they said goodbye, it was often kind of a touching moment. It was. And um, one of my favorites was um, Matt and Judy. And here's Matt asking Judy this. Was I who you expected me to be? Okay. I, uh, There's a long pause here, Judy. Yeah, well, because you're nicer than I expected you to be. <laughs> <laughs> So they really had a nice conversation and the pause was a lot longer, but for time I, you know, cut that a little shorter. But they really connected and they were from opposite sides and they had a really nuanced discussion and really respected one another. And it was very um, interesting to see that. And I had a similar uh, circumstance with Lisa and Dorian asking each other the same question. Um, I was really excited to get to, to talk to you, but I was afraid that you were going to be a little more hardline than than what you've been. You've been very open and understanding and flexible, and I appreciate that. Well, thank you, thank you. You were not at all who I expected. You were. I'm, I I saw the the word yesterday, ultra conservative, and, <laughs> and oh my god, I said, this is this is going to be a doozy. but i think that you you surprised me and i think you surprised yourself absolutely and and uh we have more in common than than we don't have Uh, that was a very good thing and uh i was happy to have this conversation i mean i learned a lot about you and i learned a lot about uh your views you know and it confirmed a couple things for me that i was thinking in my head about um the uh, conservative side yeah there was some really nice moments i think this was one that really stuck with me and this was a conversation between jeff and cammy i won't say her last name but if you listen to all things considered you might recognize her um (laughs) So this was something that Jeff, who was our conservative participant, said after Kimmy had explained her thoughts on, you know, rights and acceptance for the queer community and inclusivity. And Jeff was quiet for a while. And then he said this. I've come a long way in this LGBTQ thing over the years. The thing I need to say, I would say... Mm is, and that makes so much sense, give us time. We've come a long way, real quick. I mean, real quick. 
right? Clinton, it was don't ask, don't tell. Obama's first few years was that all of a sudden the doors went open. And we've had a change. We've had to make a, a change in how things have always been, you know, Ward and Beaver Cleaver back in the 60s to now. And uh, so give us patience. And I think that's something we heard from a lot of the conservatives who honestly felt like they were, one guy said he felt like he was walking into the lion's den. Yeah. Who okay. felt like we were going to ambush them. Yes. And I think a lot of the liberal participants thought that they were, you know, if they treaded into any kind of contentious waters that the conversation would just fall apart. So basically both people thought, hey, if, if we get real with each other, if we really talk about how we feel, even if it's in an open-ended you know, not a gladiatorial way, but just if I tell people how I really feel, this conversation will fall apart because that has happened at my Thanksgiving dinner many, many <laughs> times. Um, and it didn't. And it was nice to see that. Yeah. And even talking to Judy and she said this at the um, the listening event, one of our participants, I'm really tired of censoring myself, not necessarily that, you know, people are saying something offensive, but she's people are nervous to share who they are with people because they might, you know, shun them for who they are. And so I think this was a really good experience to say that this is not what we're doing here. Yeah. And that's sort of the way it ended with participants happy and um and Jennifer, who also came to the listening event, and we're so thrilled to meet each other in person. And I think we've all talked about this. A lot of the folks at the end of their conversations made plans to meet. Yes. I had an older gentleman, an older conservative man, and a young single mom who were going to get their families together. It wow. was really terrific. So, um, yeah, hearing Happy and Jennifer say goodbye was a lot of fun. This was fun. This was a lot of fun. I'm it glad was, we, I would do yeah. it again if you ever wanted to talk. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Honestly, I, feel, I was a little worried to tell you the truth because I think we're made to feel worried, but it turned out to be really Yeah, you enjoyable. look at a big hairy dude and it's like, oh my God, he's going to be. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. A tattooed biker. That's what I'm talking to. Okay, well, great. <laughs> let me just go. Let me put my MAGA hat on and let me just, you know. <laughs> yeah, I guess that would have been. Um, yeah, that would have been maybe a harder conversation. I feel like we actually have a lot of things we agree on. Right. I think yeah. so. But you're... Yeah, he and we met him at the listening event. He was a burly man. <laughs> he sure is. <laughs> uh, and I will also say the, the first conversation that I facilitated uh, was between Bob and Chris. And the way it ended, they felt like they had just gotten started and asked if I would do another one when this project was over. So, Bob and Chris, if you're listening... Yes, I will definitely do another one because uh, I enjoyed these two. I really did. Yeah, and I had several, like you've said, Ben and Mary, you know, I had a couple that wanted to get coffee. They definitely asked for each other's emails at the end. Of course, I asked for permission. Is that cool if I put you guys on the same email? Because like Ben said, we kept their communication zero uh, between each other until they walked into that conversation room. So they were really excited to get to know one another better. Yeah, so in our in our closing minutes here, let's talk a little bit about what's next, because, you know, we've technically finished the, the project, but I feel like there's still a lot of a lot of work to do. 
I mean, we could cut more of these conversations. You might hear that if one of these issues come uh, comes back up. Um, I had some really good conversations, like we said earlier, on abortion that were nuanced, ones on gun control that were really nuanced. And these people are almost examples of how you could talk about a contentious issue without going for the jugular. Um, so I really appreciated that. Oh, yes, absolutely. And the enthusiasm that people had to continue in some way was wonderful. And in fact, at the listening event, people were already coming up with ideas, possibilities um, that we're definitely going to look into to have public um, get-togethers, basically one small step chats where we can invite the public in, maybe have some conversation starters, some of the questions that these folks asked each other in their conversations. And just let more people experience this this program. Yeah, because Mary printed out these great cards with these same questions that we asked during our conversations. And so they got to uh, mingle with other people and ask those same questions that really get to the heart of who you are as a person instead of putting you on the defensive like so many of them were nervous about. Yeah, I definitely think there should be a One Small Step Home Edition you can yes. take and play. Uh, no, we're past. This is coming out at after, holidays. At holidays. So the next big holiday is Easter. So you got some time to prep, get your questions ready. But remember, you know, I'm a cynical journalist, you know, and I was repeatedly surprised. Um, yes. Not just about, you know, how complicated and nuanced and open to conversation people were, but how open they were to do it again. <laughs> like I really thought that some people would just, you know, when it was done, they would. Oh, sure. Wipe their hands and be like, well, that was a waste of 50 minutes. But that's that's not what the experience was. I guess my final thought is that I did get a better sense of what people in the community want from their journalists. And I think it was really very similar. Um, people wanted accountability for the people in government. They wanted, you know, especially on environmental issues, because we've had no shortages of them here in the Cape Fear region. I didn't talk to anyone left, right, or center who didn't want Chemors held accountable, right. for example. Uh, they want to know what their government's doing with their money. Uh, they want politicians to be honest. They wanted more coverage of candidates going into elections. They wanted to know more about the people who were potentially going to be in office. So I think reporting that is fair, reporting that is fact-based, but that is honest, you know, and doesn't try to sugarcoat stuff. And it shows... You know, it respects everyone's humanity. You ask a question, you present a point of view, but you're not name calling. You are describing, you are reflecting, you are sharing a perspective. And if we can acknowledge our common humanity and not, you know, try to evoke an emotional response out of people, and, and that's usually through name calling, um, that's how we can move forward. Absolutely. And that's what I felt with all of these conversations. People just wanted compassion and people wanted to be heard and and they wanted to listen, too, which isn't always the case. A lot of people get out there and they're going to tell you their opinion. But through these conversations, people really shared their ideas and sometimes they stayed far apart. Sometimes they came together. But uh, people just want to continue to work together and, and they want things to be better. Yeah, and we also had to work on sharing the time equally, and that was really important. Mm -hmm. And I think what people feel heard if they feel like they're also a part, and it's not just one person taking control, but it's you're working together through the problem. One thing I can say categorically is that every single conversation we had, at least one time, someone would say something that was that might have landed the wrong way on social media, 
and acknowledged that and said, well, if that was, if I did that in the comment section, I'd get eaten alive, but I'm just kidding. And like a chance to, when you're face to face or at least, you know, talking to someone, you can see the other person, you can tell when they're joking, maybe ribbing you a little bit. And for some reason that, that made a world of difference. Yeah, and I'd be remiss if I didn't say this last thing, but when you, when they read their bio, so we forgot to mention that, but they read their, the other person reads the bio that's written by their partner, and they ask them questions about that bio. And so that's the second thing that we do in these conversations. And I think just hearing people where they, where how they grew up and where they came from, that adds an extra layer of empathy. You know this person, you understand some degree how they were raised and what they had to deal with. So then that's the springboard for allowing the space to discuss their point of view of the world. And, you know, I just want to take this moment to thank you guys for bringing me into your side of things uh, at the station. I mean, as the development director, I really work a lot with the community. So the outreach side of this for me was not new, and I really enjoyed that. But this gave me a little taste of, you know, speaking directly to community members and then working in the studio. So uh, it's been a real pleasure. Well, Mary Bradley, Rachel Keith, thank you so much for being here today. Yes, and thank you to all of our people who participated and anybody who signed up. And we could have these future um, get-togethers, and you still have a chance to participate. It was a pleasure to meet you all, and thank you. Thank you. Thank you all. All right, well, that's just about all the time we have for this edition of The Newsroom. Thanks to my guests today, Mary Bradley and Rachel Keith, and all the people who participated in or even just signed up for our One Small Step program, and we'll have links to those conversations and our listening party event on the page. Thanks to our technical team, Ken Campbell, Jonathan Furnell, and Megan McDevitt, and of course, thanks to the team at One Small Step and StoryCorps. And a note, StoryCorps' One Small Step radio station hub is made possible by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, a private corporation funded by the American people. If you missed any part of this program, you can find it at whqr.org or find it as a podcast pretty much everywhere you can find podcasts. If you have thoughts or comments about today's program or ideas for a future show, email us at newsroom at whqr.org. I'm Ben Shockman. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll join us for the next edition of The Newsroom. Newsroom.